Hello and welcome. To paraphrase the great Joni Mitchell and quite a few other songwriters, poets and performers, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Life in lockdown has really been a reminder of that. As I'm recording this introduction, shops, bars, restaurants and cafes are still closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Of course, the reasons couldn't be more serious, but it also means dreaming about those favourite things we used to do and wondering when they'll come back. The simple pleasure of someone else cooking brilliantly well for you with impeccable ingredients is one of those things. And one of the best examples of that is London's famous River Cafe. It's been serving some of the most delicious Italian food available anywhere in the world for more than 30 years. Before the pandemic really took hold and the River Cafe had to pause like all other eateries in the UK, I called up with chef and co-founder Ruth Rogers to talk tradition, authenticity and sustainability. When uh, we opened the River Cafe, just to unprofessional uh, chefs in the sense that neither of us had worked really in a restaurant before, it was a very, very small space and we were only allowed to open at lunchtime. Um, and it was very, it was, it was really, we were going to cook the kind of food that Rose and I most loved to eat and most loved to cook at home. We both had large families. And Rose had just come back from living in uh, Lucca in Tuscany. And my husband's family are all Italian. So although I learned to cook from my own mother, um, I learned to cook from, um, you know, cookbooks. So for instance, the art, Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child. I lived in Paris for uh, five years when my husband was doing the Pompidou Center, the architect for the Pompidou Center. Um, but I suppose it was really when I went to Italy and and also through Richard's mother, who was a, a, a cook from Trieste and then lived in Florence. But as when I went to Italy and I experienced Italian food, I knew this was the kind of food that I wanted to cook. So Rose having been living in Italy, myself um, being, you know, so, um, and inspired by my trips to Italy. That's what we did in the River Cafe. What do you think sets Italian cooking and cuisine apart from others that are more traditional like French and, well, any other cuisine, no, I guess? Amazing. You know, every country has, you know, at its heart a great um, tradition of cooking, whether you're in Peru or Tokyo or, um, you know, India, whether you're in... Uh, Norway, but I would say that um, the reason that I gravitate towards Italian food, I grew up in the United States. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, Woodstock, New York. And for an American, um, Italian food was very Southern Italian. So, and not even Southern Italian, but Southern Italian interpreted by people who came from Southern Italy, or at least to, to, to the United States. And, um, and so my image of Italian food was always rather heavy. It was uh, meatballs and spaghetti. It was a very thick tomato sauce. It was a uh, baked eggplant with mozzarella cheese. It wasn't so much based on the ingredient, but based on um, a kind of tomato-y, heavy, cheesy way of eating. And uh, so for me, going to Tuscany, to Florence, really, was the first trip I took with Richard um, to Italy. And having, um, you know, a bruschetta, a piece of really excellent sourdough bread, grilled, rubbed very, very lightly with olive oil, uh, with um, garlic, and then with new seasons, you know, pressed olive oil, was, a, you know, so exciting. I can remember that 
I can remember where I was and what I was doing when I ate that first bruschetta. And then if you went to the coast, you had a piece of grilled sea bass with, um, you know, herbs and again, lemon. And then if you went to, you know, of course, it varied. Uh, if you go to, you know, northern Italy, it might have been more complex. And in fact, it, I'm making it sound too simple. But I think with um, a risotto, with a... Uh, fish soup with a uh, grilled um, piece of beef with um, borlotti beans with uh, panna cotta. You really can find your your ingredient. You know what you're eating. It's there. I love French food and I love living in France and there's nothing I adore making more than a souffle. But I think that the clarity of Italian food, that it was based on the ingredient. If you're going to have three if you're going to have a piece of fish with olive oil, lemon, and perhaps some wild oregano or herbs, you other herbs, you want to make sure the fish has to be completely fresh, the olive oil has to have a strong taste, the lemon has to be squeezable. So I think with the juice, and I think that um, for me that was some, the kind of food I like to eat rather than a small piece of fish under a, you know, a hollandaise sauce. Not that it isn't delicious, but for me that's the kind of food I like to eat. How important is the tradition and adhering to the to the tradition of Italian cooking? Well, I think one of the things that's more interesting than tradition for me, and that it is to do with tradition, is regionality. So the idea that a recipe uh, for a soup, for instance, say a soup, um, a Papa Pomodoro, which I often cite as an example of your know, bread, tomatoes, olive oil, and basil, and maybe some water, um, can vary from town to town, from um, family to family, from sister to sister. You know, I always say that I witnessed a, a huge argument between two sisters making Papa Pomodoro as to whether you would put boiling water in or just use the tomato sauce with the bread. Um, I also was once going to cook a pork roast in... Um, uh, in Tuscany, and we live in near Montepulciano, and um, the butcher asked me how I was going to make it, and I thought, aha, uh-huh, you know, you think you're just talking to somebody who doesn't know how to cook, and I described it to him, and he said, oh, no, 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 that's how they do it in Siena, and we're talking about a town that was probably 40 miles away, you know, so there is a pride, and, and a, a, so that is a tradition, I think, the way recipes are handled, uh, handed down. Uh, and families, and you know, it isn't for me. In the, the way I cook in the River Cafe, somebody might say, "You cannot put uh, cheese with fish in a pasta." Well, one of the best pastas we make is actually a pasta that I ate in Verona, and uh, it was—it's langoustine with pecorino and black pepper, and a hard pasta and, and butter, and so it breaks the rules, but it is uh, phenomenally delicious. Um. When you talk about it, you light up, and you're making me feel very hungry, actually, (laughs) discussing it. But is it important to maintain, not just you, but anybody who has this relationship with food and the tradition, to maintain a a passion for it and care about it and in some ways curate it, I guess? Well, I think it's both. I think that, you know, you have passion. You you know, I sat yesterday, I write a menu, um, every chef in the River Cafe, the head chefs, and there are only four, uh, write a menu for what they're going to cook that lunchtime or that night. You see what's in the fridge, you see what's there, you, you see what's been ordered, you see the people you have cooking. There are a lot of 
um, like in your own home, you know, what is going to make you serve something that night? There are many, many, many considerations. Um, passion is hugely important. Care is important. Standards are important. But I also think that very often people are cooking under pressure. You know, they may have come back from work and they have children whose homework has to be done or they might be very tired or they might um, have to go out. There's so many reasons why we sit, have to go into the kitchen and make something to eat. And so I think, you know, you, you, you may have a day where you, it's the last thing you want to do and you don't feel passionate about. I do think there's, um, I think that eating well and cooking well should be the role of the government to educate um, society. And I think that we should feed people well in hospitals. Children should be fed priority um, nutrition in schools. And so this is something as a value that should be handed down. But I'm not one of the people who judge people if they don't, because I think we all have a lot of things to do in life and um, you do what you can. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit more, the sort of the threats, the challenges uh, to the Italian cooking that you love, because there are many. Mm. Uh, and like anything cultural, cooking does not stay the same indefinitely. It obviously evolves over time. So I guess in the time that you've been working with Italian cooking, how has it changed and, and what has made it change? Well, I think uh, fundamentally the biggest change is the access to ingredients that um, when I and Rose, Rose and I started the River Cafe, you know, we would bring back a whole Parmesan cheese um, on the plane. We would... Um, you know, bring, you know, um, a, a prosciutto, you know, in the back of our car. It was, you know, you could get ingredients, but it was it was challenging. Uh, you know, I, I was never, I came here too late to be confronted by the idea that you had to go to a chemist to buy olive oil or, you know, that, that I think there was already olive oil. Most of it was from Greece. I think the access to traveling has been crucial. I think the idea that you could get on a plane for in those days, not being very sustainable, of course, but the idea that you could fly to Rome for the same price that you would take a train to Brighton almost, you know, opened up the doors of if you could eat something as delicious there, um, why couldn't we eat it here? So people were quite questioning about the food we did in 1987. But I think that um, the more people traveled, the more they understood um, what, what, they were, what they were eating, even if it was quite simple. Um, and I think that uh, Jamie Oliver, I think food programs, I think cookbooks, I think um, the excitement of people realizing that they can, you know, cook at home and um, it could be fun, you know, um, is all, is all uh, led to a kind of interest in food. Is it really important to maintain the authenticity of the ingredients or given that we're in London and the River Cafe is in London too, can you source things locally that are as good as the originals from Italy? Yeah, I think that's, I, I really try. I would love to be able to source more food. You know, there are people, I think, making mozzarella in all different parts of the country. There are people trying to make prosciuttos. There are people um, growing. Certainly, you know, I would say, for me, um, I'd probably... I would say that, you know, there, there are more vegetables that, that you can buy now, the access. If you go into supermarkets, um, you can find um, vegetables and fruits in, in season. Um, personally, I think the expense is an issue of a lot of ingredients, but I would rather eat something 
less often and have it be really good. You know, I'd rather drizzle a drop of olive oil over something than not have the best, you know. But we all make choices. And when it comes to the people eating in the cafe, is the provenance of the ingredients front of mind? Do they always ask, is this Italian? Where does it come from? Or if it's good enough and it it doesn't matter where it comes from? Is, yeah. Do you find all that? All our ingredients um, that we buy, you know, are Italian. I mean, everything we cook with in the kitchen is sourced from Italy. We have someone in the Milan market. Um, obviously, you know, we, we, as I said, our vegetable growers are growing more. But if I were to totally depend on the British market, it would be very challenging. I think people, uh, there are some people who are very curious. We, 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 we put on the menu um, very often where, they, you know, uh, where, you know, whether it's a um, um, violetta artichoke or whether it's, um, um, you know, Ita- Italian um, rainbow chard, whether it's um, anchovies, salted anchovies. I think it's a Sardinian batarga. I think it's a fine balance as well that very often you go to a restaurant and you you want to have a conversation with the person you're with, you know. When you look at the menu and you say, bring me a, you know, a mozzarella plate with smashed black olives and um, a roasted uh, pumpkin and then a tomato with um, batarga, you know, spaghetti batarga and maybe um, a grilled piece of sea bass. But... You might engage in a conversation to want to know was you know we always say we only cook with wild uh, fish we don't use any farmed so we, we specify that we specify the type of beef but I think um, it, it really depends some people want to know and some people just want to order and enjoy their meal and talk to the friend or family member they're with I, I try not to impose because uh, sometimes I find it as a diner very annoying if I'm there to talk to my son who I haven't seen in a few weeks that they're kind of introducing me to the carrot, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, though, that when you do have those conversations, they have evolved over time, that people are perhaps a bit more mindful of what they're eating and the impact it has on the environment? Mm. I mean, meat is a a big one of that, and beef especially. Definitely, yeah. I mean, there's a huge dialogue going on now about, which should be, you know, about climate change. Everything we do, everything we do is to do with, um, trying to make the world more sustainable and being aware of how what we do, how we eat, how we travel, how we wear clothes um, is affecting the world we're in. And um, we are constantly at the River Cafe doing that, whether it's no, you know, years ago having no plastic straws or no plastic gastros or trying to, uh, you know, our recycling. Oh, I think like many, but we're not the only ones. Um, I think the meat issue is, is is really important, and I think again, it's um, it's it's removing all cattle from the earth is not is not a, 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 even the Soil Association. And I went to a conference quite recently about what we do. Choices are: you might say you would have no beef at all to eat; you choose not to eat beef, or you might say I might have it one one day a week. You might say I'm only going to eat beef if it's grass-fed, I'm going to find out how, where these beef come from. So I think these are, I think to be a responsible citizen, you want to know, as again, you know, where your clothes are being made, um, are they paying, what wages are they paying the workers, how far is it traveling? Nothing comes to the River Cafe by plane except for the cheese, the mozzarella cheese from Naples. Um, Why is that? It has to be there quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and and yes, exactly, and it's quite far. We all our fish it comes from the, 
the coast of, of Great Britain. We have scalps that come from Aberdeen, but um, we have um, our vet, we have someone in the Milan market, so we have deliveries that come from Milan um, daily, and then we have a lot of growers that grows you know grow seeds for us that we buy. We have people who bring in wild mushrooms at the door for you know to, for us to buy or to exchange for something else. It's a very it's uh, local, but it's also we are in the world, you know. But we don't have, we are very conscious of of not even seasonality, but almost month by month. So it's really challenging. If I sometimes look down at the menu, thinking what I'm going to cook, and my choice is between cavallonero, chard, spinach, and um, well, then we have, you know artichokes right now. It's it's in the summer. It's wonderful when you have the strawberries, the raspberries, the so. But we make it work, you know, and that's what we do. What do you think the biggest challenge then looking ahead to Italian cooking in Britain? What do you think the biggest challenge is? Is it going to be access to ingredients? Is it going to be a push for people to source more locally and perhaps develop a more natural British cuisine? What do you think, Ruth? Well, I'm very worried about Brexit. You know, I think everybody's very wondering why... And we've just opened our doors, you know, to cooking, to writing, to philosophy, to movies. And, you know, we're a better country and a better city and a better, you know, area. Right where I'm walking to this office is about about influences from all over. And so what, it, what will happen with our access to Italian ingredients? How will that manage? Will I have to put my prices up? Will people be worried about that? That, that for me, is, is a big concern. I mean, more generally around the world, we've obviously become more global. Globalization over the past few decades has been a thing. It means that cuisines like Italian or Japanese or French have become popular in other parts of the world. Do you see that in some way going backwards? Because you know, Italian cuisine was born out of what was available in Italy yeah. you know, over, over centuries. Do you see that a lack of availability of things for whatever reason, whether it be cost or sustainability, means it's going to be harder for foreign ways of cooking to still exist in other parts of the world. I suppose it depends what you want to cook. Um, I also like, I think, you know, when I came here from the United States and when I travel, I wanted to have great British food. I thought, wow, you know, here I am. And, and if, if I was, a, when I go to Mexico, I don't want to go to a Chinese restaurant. When I go to this, you know, Moscow, I don't want to have, um, you know, Indian food. If I live in a city, I want to, you know, obviously try all of that and, and more. So I am a huge fan. I wish that at Buckingham Palace when they had, or Downing Street, you know, everybody was given steak and kidney pie instead of a French souffle and uh, poached over so. You know, I think that it would be fantastic to really celebrate the best. And I think, you know, there's so many great chefs here who are doing that now. And um, so I applaud English food. I'm interested in, in Brit I mean, British food. I'm interested in it, and I like to eat it, and I, I respect it, and I want more of it. But I do not think that, that living in a city, you know, turning your back and saying we're only going to eat that and ignore the incredible excitement of, of um, cultures from everywhere, which is expressed in their food. So if you go to, you know, a Thai restaurant, you'll learn something about Thailand and Thai people. If you, um, you know, that's what curiosity is, isn't it? I think that's a really interesting point about how people often think as food is just fuel, but really it's such an important part of culture. 
and learning about other cultures, learning about Italy through the way that the food is made. Yeah, well, you know, my first stop in any city um, when I arrive there is to go to try and find where the market is because it's so revealing. If you go to um, Jaipur, you know, and you see the way that the, the market is there and it's noisy and motorbikes and noise and smells and colors and everything. And then you go to a market in Nîmes in Paris, you know, in France, it's a totally different experience. And if you went to a small market in a small town in uh, Piemonte, that would tell you, so it tells you something about where you are. And I think, um, I think it's quite interesting that from, I don't know much, but I do know that I think some of this theory now is that we will be either buying from supermarkets or markets. You know, markets are really interesting, the coming back again, the market in towns. And I welcome that. I love farm to table. I think that's good. I think for my, in my view, there's some of the London markets and British markets are too much cooked food. Um, I really love going to a market and seeing the, the, you know, the vegetables and the fruits and the breads and the cheeses, you know, but, um, and I, and I am, I respect supermarkets, you know, I think that um, there's, there's not all of them, and there's far too much choice, and you should have quality over choice, and I think there's a lot of problems with sell-by dates and by, you know, a, lo a lot of the mass marketing, but I do think they're clean, I think they have high standards, I think they have um, lighting, and I think what used to terrify me was the small shop that, you know, didn't have that, you know, didn't have, you'd go to a small town and you would see meat being next to fish, next to dairy, that the floor was dirty, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be quoted as, as not being an advocate of small food shops, because I think, you know, that's important too, but I, I, um, that worried me much more than supermarkets. Ruth, do you think the traditions of cooking, let's talk about Italian cooking specifically, can survive all the challenges that are coming their way, or can it adapt to incorporate things like meat made in a laboratory and other things like that? I think that, you know, again, it's a, it's a large generalization. Italian food can be going, opening a packet of penne, putting it in water with salt, um, adding, you know, butter and Parmesan cheese, you know, and that that's Italian food. You can, um, you know, as I said, you can um, buy some lamb chops or that, you know, and you can put sage and you can put garlic and some capers and that's Italian food. You can, you know, so I think that, um, or you might spend all day trying to make fresh pasta and, um, you know, a sauce made out of clams and batarga. You, you know, there's so many versions of Italian food. And I think, as I said before, everybody has a pressure. But I, I suppose what I'd like to think is that in the time it takes you to call up a Deliveroo or to, and I have no problem with Deliveroo, I, you know, my children use it. I would say that, um, you know, what, what I would like to encourage people to do is to think how easy it is two before you do buy something frozen or fast food or unhealthy food is to open a packet of pasta put it in boiling salted water and put in a few you know few tomatoes if you have some basil that's growing outside your window and you've got something delicious to eat you know and i think that it doesn't have to be any more difficult than that and one final thing 
it's not just about the eating, is it? It's about the whole bit. It's about the cultural impact. And we've mm. we've talked about that. So is this a, a concern that by focusing too much on just getting people fed, that we then lose a bit of the the soul, the culture of, mm. of cooking? Yeah, well, I think cooking and eating, you know, I think that sitting around a table and eating is, that's why I think one shouldn't, you know, what you're eating is that is the the time to talk, the time to to take time away, to to taste, to discuss. I see people sitting in my restaurant and they're having such a nice time. You know, they're sitting around a table, um, just enjoying each other's company. And I think at home, it's you know it can be challenging, as I said, if you have everybody's trying to do different things. But um, my best conversations, whether in the kitchen cooking with my grandchildren or children or sitting around the table eating, are really around the table. I, but I also don't want to romanticize that because a lot of people really have terrible times around the table. You know, a lot of memories for people is having to sit through a dinner with their parents, you know, that was, was quite difficult. So I think I, I, I don't want to say that sitting around the table in that romantic way is the way was you know I think for me and my family it's really important but I think that food and eating is a very personal thing and how you do it I I do regret you know people walking down the street eating or I do think it's a shame when you order something I think a lot of the issues are to do with that's why I don't want to be too judgmental because I think a lot of food issues are to do with poverty and I think that people are um, you know eat poor poorly when they're poor you know, it's it's all very well to sit here talking about the great access of Italian food, and probably you know. But I think that you know the the fast food chains do mo- you know do best in poor areas. So why why is that, and what can we do about that? Because I think that is at the crux. Ruth, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Thanks a lot for your company. Other guests who featured on the Freudcast include pollster Sir John Curtis, best-selling author and artist Charlie Maxey, serial CEO Margaret Heffernan, and our own founder and chairman Matthew Freud. You can find all episodes on the main podcast platforms and get updates by following Freud's on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm Matt Barbette, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>